Raisin Man Arena. So can we? Has it started now? Uh, you know, whenever, whenever I can edit it to start whenever. Wow. So, <laughs> so if we if we were to talk, you can for... start it. You'll start it on a joke you you'll make. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'm just saying, if we get 20 minutes of a dud, then we can just 20 minutes and go. We're starting now and just cut okay. 20 minutes and and well, nobody let's... and nobody needs to be the wiser. Let's do all the all our dud stuff. Let's get it out up top so that it's easier for Felipe to edit it. All right, mm-hmm. dud stuff yeah. up top. <laughs> what is dud stuff? Mm. Um, well, Sarah, I wanted to ask you about a date, but I guess now that we're recording, I can't, <laughs> can't talk about it. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about it later. Um, I, I did go on a date uh, between last episode and now, and it was it was pretty good. But I, I don't want to make Sam's classic mistake of like talking extensively about my date. But yes. then that, that ended up working out for Sam. Um, working out and then not working <laughs> out, right? Yeah, I broke up with her. <laughs> damn, damn. So it sort of doubled back. <laughs> if you're following that story, Sam talked about this girl on the podcast. Then she thought it was too much. And so she broke up with Sam, but then they got back together. But then he ended it in the end. So happy ending she, yeah. right she heard the podcast she said sam i didn't i didn't like how you how you called me a perfect 10 <laughs> with beautiful gams she broke up well, with yeah, you. i i looped back around on that with her and she was it there was actually nothing about the podcast that that like uh, disenchanted her word that's good yeah. to hear i think the danger of talking about dating on the podcast is that as soon as you're ever dating more than one person, uh, then it's, it's true. Yeah. Then you're setting yourself up. Well, in terms of, uh, the podcast being a weather vane, I think when we first started, I think we were taught, I was, I had a lot of crushes on my mind and now, <laughs> and now that my, um, my, my libido has kind of, it's now, it's now sort of gliding like a bird just above water <laughs> in a beautiful clear that ocean. Sunset. Yeah. Yeah. And that's nice. What does that mean? Is that good or bad? <laughs> Is it strong or weak? I'm just chilled out. Considerably chilled out. Ah, mm. uh, yes. Mm. I'm sort of, um, about to retire for the winter. If I don't find someone to hook up with through the second wave of coronavirus, uh, then I'm just going to close down shop and we'll come back in the spring and we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll give another shot. Yeah. All your favorite items will be back in the spring. Just bring, just bring down the, just bring those, those bodega, uh, shutters. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Don't come over here. We're not selling anything. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What about, what about on New Year's Eve? That often can be a moment kind of halfway through a long winter where, you know, something exciting happens. That's funny. I've never made anything happen on New Year's Eve. Uh, yeah. You know, me neither. <laughs> Seems like <laughs> a magical neither. time for some people to make something happen. No, New Year's Eve is, is bad. Sucks. Yeah. Bad holiday. You can never make the right plans. Yeah. And this year it's going to be even worse because once we, (laughs) once we get into the next wave, not only is there going to be more coronavirus, but it's going to instantly mutate into a much worse virus. Mm. Instant death. Extremely contagious. Stomach aches. It's got to start causing Um, stomach aches, which isn't currently a symptom. Yeah. Yeah. That would suck. Yeah. Yes. That would squarely put me in the, in the no pussy getting category. (laughs) Erectile dysfunction instant plus instant death mm. so you get erectile dysfunction for a, a brief second before you die so in a way it's not so bad <laughs> some people mm. for some people i'm sure they'll rise to the top others it spells their doom i am definitely feeling though like okay i have to kind of I have to kind of winnow down the <laughs> roster. I, yeah. have to, I have to pick. I have to pick the uh, the starters. Yeah, and just then, the all stars. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I can't. I can't have you know too many people on rotation right now. Yeah, it's nice to give a bunch of people a chance because sometimes you can be surprised. This I learned about sports. Just because you're really good in college doesn't mean you're good at the pros. And just because you're just okay at college, you can be really good in the pros. So 
I'm sure that what, applies. What account? Where did you learn that? And what accounts for that difference? <laughs> yeah, um, I learned that through life experience. <laughs> <laughs> Playing in the NBA, Sarah was a I, D1 track athlete. I was <laughs> at the, Villanova, the best they'd ever seen. And then they put me in the Olympics, and I just couldn't hack it. It just is a totally different game. And no, uh, I have heard that because in college, everyone's a lot smaller sized. So you can be really, really good. But if you're just not, you know, big enough, then you can't play in the, with the in with all the big sport? guys. In <laughs> well, think about it, Sam. You don't, people, don't, people don't stop growing until they're 27, 28. People at, at 20, true. they're still little and tiny, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you gotta have your growth. True. You gotta have your growth for the twenty six. That's that's very true. Yes. Well, also, okay. This is a fact. This is a fact. I watched the Michael Jackson documentary, which of course was executive produced. Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan documentary. He produced yeah. it, and all the facts oh, that are in Freudian, it are his own. Freudian slip. <laughs> Damn. Um, and he says in it that he was in college playing basketball, and he was just okay. And then he decided to become the greatest basketball player of all time, and that's and then he became it. He wasn't on track. So really, yeah, that's what he says. That's what he says. Huh? And I find went, that hard to believe. Yeah, but it's interesting because, like, if he just chose that to be part of his self narrative, why? Why wouldn't you just be like, no, I was always like going to be the best of all time? Or, well, I, that makes me think of that story about Jim Carrey, who was like, when he was starting out, he was like, I wrote a check to myself for like a bit million dollars. And uh, he didn't sign it, and he said, I'm going to someday have this money. And then he did. But it's like, I don't buy that he just manifested it. Like, I think he knew he was pretty good. And he made he made what looked like, like a reasonable bet. Because I'm sure there's a lot of losers who write a check to themselves mm, for a million uh-huh. dollars. There's a lot of losers who say, I'm going to become the greatest basketball player of all time. And it doesn't happen for them. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, Se- Jerry Seinfeld said when he first started doing stand-up comedy, he was immediately batting 500. Like, uh, he was bombing every other time, but he was killing every other time. And I always thought that was, like, a weird fact. And I thought, huh. Did you uh, hear that on the um, on the HBO show that he did with Louis C.K. and Chris Rock and <laughs> Yeah, I, I saw it on that. I was in the audience for that. So I heard uh, learned, that learned that fact playing D1 soccer <laughs> at Texas A&M. Wait, wait, wait. But that's not a bit. That's actually a show that exists. Oh, yeah? It's on Netflix? Yeah. No, it was an HBO show called um, Talking Funny or something like that. And it's not, it was more like a a conversation. They were all on couches. Hmm. I think that I heard this on uh, Comedians in Cars Drinking Coffee that he said Mm. that. Yeah. And I just thought it was interesting. He he was saying it, it was like a brag thing. And I was like, hmm, batting 500. I guess it's hard to say relatively now. I mean, if he was doing the Brooklyn Alt mic circuit, he might be batting, you know, a thousand. Uh, it's just all sort of relative, I guess. Yeah. Is batting 500 good or bad? In baseball, it's it's good. Okay. Is it 500 out of what? Then you said batting 1,000, and I thought, well, be, that's probably even better. But I thought 500 <laughs> was like the best. Yeah. I think, how do you, what is fire? You hit 500 balls? Wow. And here you guys are coming at me like, I don't know this about different sports <laughs> stuff, and you don't even know. <laughs> um, it means that uh, half the time that you go to bat, you hit it, you get on base. I think. Wouldn't it be better if you were batting 1,000, which yes. is every time? Yes. And that's like dating? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I think that um, you can choose. Uh, there is an element of choice in becoming like really good at something. I think there's the moments, though, where you have to decide how much of your, your life it's going to like ruin. And when people decide to be really good at stuff, they're like, this is the moment where I'm going to make my life horrible. I'm I'm a little I'm a little I am. I have two conflicting opinions about that. One is that I'm a little bit more of a determinist. I think that there's not one moment where a person makes that choice. Their life sort of leads them towards that choice. I don't think any person wakes up one day and says, Hey, I'm going to make my art form ruin my life and I'm willing to do that. I think every day they make choices that amount to that. Um, and I think p- 
people like I'm a big I'm a believer in like you know work not talent like I think you like have to have to work a lot to have a talent I don't think people have like inborn talents but I do think a thing that people do have that is inborn is like like a zeal about work or like an obsession like the capacity to be obsessed um mm. with something hmm i don't know those feel like you you were misrepresenting what i'm saying and then i also don't know if i agree with the inborn thing uh how is that misrepresenting what you were saying <laughs> i guess like i i guess I do believe there are moments where people make decisions big time, like, like kind of um, watershed moments, we'll call them, where you say, I'm going to make a decision from now on that, that I'm going to start acting this way or start uh, like moving towards this goal. And then, of course, you sort of reaffirm that decision every day you wake up and decide to do it. But I can think there, there are moments where like people decide to dramatically change the course of their life. I guess I um, guess what I'm suggesting and I and the truth is I can't prove it, right? I I can't tell you that you're wrong, but this is what this is my proposition and this is from my personal sense of my own life, which of course I can't extend to everyone, but it's that like you think you're making that decision at that moment, but really your life has been leading you in such a direction where the decision seems possible likely attractive um and so you think you're making the decision for the first time but actually you've been moving towards the decision in a kind of inevitable way but i can't prove that that's right everybody's different and you know only they no, know I, what's I, in their heads I, sorry sir i want you to jump in here yeah i i mean I, i'm avoiding saying anything because i this is extremely corny for me to say but i i don't really believe in free will but that's like sort of a larger like we're still functioning within like I, I don't accept that free will that really exists, um, but we're still feeling like we're making our own decisions. So I don't know. I guess it's like to me sort of an arbitrary distinction, distinction without difference, like whether or not you're really making the decision in that moment or all the forces in your life are leading you up to make a decision that was inevitable. It's like uh, you felt at some point a decision was made. Right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, maybe, maybe that's what the wisest way of putting it. I'll give you another example, which is something I've thought about. I think that I've often thought about advice I've gotten throughout my life, and I think one piece of advice that I think is bad—I'll uh, say the piece—but I don't think it's bad because the advice itself is wrong. But I think that it's not useful advice to give, and it was this. I was like in this figure drawing class and the professor said like he was he was a funny guy he was like a kind of corny dude who clearly was like really into this like sci-fi like epic that he'd been making he'd been making this like illustrated book he was an illustrator and it was like he had spent all this time and he was like he's like I've had to make a lot of sacrifices to be an artist and clearly that meant a lot to him because he said it like two or three times in our conversation throughout the the, the course of this mm. class. And he was like, he was like, yep, yeah, if you want to be an artist, you're going to have to make, sometimes you're going to have to make a lot of sacrifices. I don't know what he was, you know, maybe he had just gotten broken up with that week and he felt <laughs> it was because, you know, or who knows like what he meant. But I think that that advice like really freaked me out. And I think I'm like, in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, it's true that you make sacrifices, but the truth is a lot more pedestrian. Like, it's not like one day you're like at a crossroads and you're like, I must sacrifice this. It's more like every day you sort of build towards a goal and the excitement of building towards the go a goal makes you like put less energy into other things. And so the sacrifice is like kind mm. of organic. So it's like, he's not wrong, but but it's not useful. Like, you know, if, if you said if you said to someone who's starting out in stand up, like, hey, in order to be a stand up, you're going to have to, like, be willing for this to ruin your life. Like, you're not going to you know, if you're really going to be a stand up, you're not going to live in one place because you're going to be touring all the time. And it's like no one would want to hear that. They'd say, I don't want to do that shit. Right. And then the person giving the advice would say, well, then you're not ready. And it's like, that's not the point. You would build up to that. Like your life would like lead you into the place where that right. is a is where you're at. And you'd be ready for right. it when that time came. Mm. That all makes sense to me. Yeah. 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 And, and also it doesn't describe the fun things that you get uh, by being a cool stand up. It's True. just describing yes. the bad parts. Yeah. There, there was, um, 
the thing I'm thinking about, though, maybe to help to describe what I'm imagining or what's going through my head is, um, do you guys know what like Hell Week is in Navy SEAL training? No. I know what Hell it's Week like, is in um, high school sports. <laughs> and in the theater. Yes, well, yes, it, in yeah. theater. It, it, it comes from, I think originally come, the people calling stuff like Hell Week in sports or theater comes from Navy SEAL training. But it's like this week where you're like supposed, you like don't get any sleep and you have to do all these like really grueling activities and physical feats. And there was this guy I remember maybe in a video this guy was describing it and he was like a trainer and he's like you know the people who get weeded out like the reason you do hell week is like the people who get weeded out are the people who basically don't believe in like the military pro american military project he's like it's not the best athletes or the most like fit people that make it to navy seal as navy seals it's the people who like actually believe that like what wanna, they're doing wanna is kill good. brown people overseas yeah and exactly and and that's actually what gets you through hell week it's it's not that you're like incredibly physically fit and i i think about that in the context of the michael jordan thing where it's like you can be like a really good athlete a really good basketball player but there, I think there has to be some moment where you have to decide or a set of moments in your life where you decide, well, if I really want to be the best I can be, there has to be this like mental element that I have to decide to take on. And maybe it's not, maybe it's, it's truly not a matter of decision. And, and of course, there's all these sociological factors that allow pe those people to make those decisions and have those, the different options to be in front of them in the first place. But there's like a, the, the difference between like two performers, like a good performer and a great one is not necessarily in the context of sports, not necessarily like an athletic one. It's like a question of like which person like decided to work more, like how their like goals are oriented and how that affected the way they decide to like train or work. Does that make sense? Yeah. I sometimes think this is also why. um people who are in positions of power are usually like the worst people to possible for yeah. those things because it's like yeah. who's ever willing to like fully buy in wholesale to the idea that like starting a corporation is really good i should be president like the government is really good like those are the kind of people that are then capable of doing the amount of work it takes to like actually do the thing versus anyone totally. who's sitting in like um kind of recognizing the nuance of uh i don't know the complications ethically of holding any position of power in the united states government or something like that will never run for office and that person would probably yes. be that's way funny. better that's funny yeah. and when you think about like obama who whose like image was of this like really measured smart sensitive man and you know it's like and you could imagine a liberal being like like oh like i'd love to you know the the sort of the equivalent of like i'd like to get a beer with him you know uh, yeah. a nice a nice ipa a nice bitter ipa with obama but imagine if you got a you know if you went out to a bar with a guy a very sensitive smart guy and then he was like yeah i should be president you you'd be like you're psycho like totally. leave, i leave right now leave exactly. this bar right now i don't want to look at you totally. <laughs> exactly totally. And, you, and you have to decide that at like 17 because you have yeah. to live a life of someone who can become president younger, i'd say yeah, yeah. younger and yeah. which is why aoc is cool because she was a bartender five years ago right like she was not out here trying to do that <gasps> do you yeah. think so i'm like i feel like i'm like oh maybe there are there's like aspects to like I think AOC had like I didn't know this, but in college she like worked for campaigns. She was like an intern on campaigns. Yeah, she no. didn't like she no. didn't, she wasn't like what? radicalized one day and then like what? had all the language. No, 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 she's like wait, are you joking? <laughs> are you fucking uh, with me? No, I, I am and I'm not. I, I didn't haven't done any research on her early life, but I did in my mind just decide that her story was that she was just someone in the community who people really liked. And that's no. how she when she was in she college, she was president of bartending. <laughs> she worked on some stupid Democrats campaign, like, you know, licking envelopes or whatever, like mm. whatever doesn't make her any less. I mean, I, there's like plenty of critiques from the left of AOC and I don't know. But, you know, like, I think a lot of people do say that she's actually like 
kind of a, a calculating a, conniving a calculating yeah. i don't you know i don't yeah. know what's you know hey all i know she's a very beautiful woman and-, <laughs> <laughs> and we like what she's doing out there yeah yeah she seems nice um yeah it's funny i i had to uh like a alumni from my college who graduated like in 2019 called me this morning to get advice on getting into documentary filmmaking which like I don't know. It reminded me of like when we were at that um, SBA class giving feedback on like their comedy videos where, you know, when oh, you're wait, like, do you want to give context for that? Yeah. I think that is <laughs> yeah. a funny thing to talk about too. <laughs> um, through some connection that I have, uh, I got asked to be like a visiting, what do you call it? Like critic. a guest, visiting critic, artist. Visiting artist. Yeah. To give feedback on these SBA students, um, video projects in, um, it was like a directing class and they had to make comedy videos. So they asked me because I was a comedian and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, but I want to bring my two friends because I was like, oh, Sam and Felipe have had like real comedy videos beyond Adult Swim. So that's like more legit than me. Um, and we agreed we would split the $120. Uh, <laughs> oh, I forgot that we got. Yeah. Did we ever or, do anything with that? Or we used that to like buy beer for the Raisin Man nice. show nice. <laughs> or something. So that was our sort of project and motivation for being involved in it. So we show up to this class and uh, it was just really funny. The professor was just like so deep out to lunch, like out in outer space. Um like sort of barely just touching on like we would watch the videos and then give critics feedback on it and he just would kind of pick one tiny little thing he felt like saying something about and talk about it um the videos were terrible and um before we we even gave feedback on them we had to introduce ourselves and um Felipe and Sam were overly modest and you like sold yourselves short like you didn't list your credits or like anything um so it just made it seem like three total amateurs (laughs) just just three idiots (laughs) and Sarah was like I played D1 soccer. I played D1 track. Yeah. Uh, I have this many close friends in my friend group. <laughs> but they had to listen to us and like nod their heads as yeah. we gave them feedback and like look in our eyes and stuff as we told them that we didn't like their videos. Um, and it was just like a funny experience. I don't know. Man, sometimes fine art classrooms are cool and sometimes they're such a charade. Yeah, I love a crit. I think crit's fun. I love crit. Me too. Crit's my favorite, but I think what was frustrating about this was like, not only were the videos bad, which they were most of them, but it was like, I don't think anyone really cared about them. Like no one, no one, no cared. one made no. something that they were excited about. Students. Uh, they were the opposite of Michael Jordan. Everyone woke up that morning <laughs> and they yeah. thought, I'm going to be the worst yeah. professor or the worst student I've ever been. Yeah. <laughs> No, it was, it was, it was, it was real trash. And I remember we were also with these other guest critics and I, I guess maybe without being too specific, like I remember people like f- venturing out guests, at, like readings of what was happening that was funny. And I was like, oh, there's not even like a consensus on like what's funny or like an interest. Yeah, exactly. What we're doing. Yeah. yeah. What's interesting. Yeah, yeah. definitely not. Like <laughs> our feedback was like as valid. It's just like five yeah. people off the street that they could have just gotten on the corner. Like, <laughs> well, the thing is like, it's like, um, I'm, I'm trying to, it's like, it's like when you're rock climbing and there's a little tiny like hump of a rock and you need to <laughs> grab it with the tippy mm-hmm. tip, tips of your fingers. And it's like, most of those videos were like a little hump of a rock where it's like, yeah, all right. You made this thing. It's like, what can I tell you? Like, make another one. Make another. Like, yeah, this is a video where you know it turns yeah. out a guy was gay. You thought he was straight, but he was gay. And it's like, yep, you achieved it. There's not much to say. Just make a new one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I thought was kind of lame was like, no one was even like, you know, there's playing for laughs of like, oh, I want to make a viral comedy video, and then there's playing for laughs of like, I'm going to present this video to my board classmates. Like, I can at least make them laugh. I know. No one was even playing at that level. So. I know. Yeah, that was the kind of the key. I was like, oh, no one trolled the class, which would have been the right way to go about it. Yeah. Um, But the reason I brought it up is it just reminded me of like the lesson learned from it. I think you said this fully afterwards. We were like at the elevator was like we should have just pretended to be more high status than we were so that we could be so that our crit. Criticism would seem to have any kind of value or weight. Uh, no, it's true. I remember being halfway through a sentence and then looking fr- at myself from the outside and being like, who is this motherfucker? What the fuck is he saying? Uh, 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 yeah, and if we just pretended that we mattered, it would have 
probably worked and the students might have appreciated it more because they would think oh some people that mattered gave us feedback on something well i mean Um, that's the whole point of of like grad school and that was i was like what is happening here like what are these kids here kids they were our age maybe a little (laughs) it's like what are these people here for like what are we here for like no one i don't know it i was like is this like a kind of like some sort of money laundering or are we like part of some totally. are we justifying this university's like real estate operation what's happening I, I, i'm laughing thinking of felipe being like yeah my name is felipe um i was on the original cast of snl and um i invented uh the the punchline the, yeah. the three-act structure of a joke yeah. <laughs> set up punchline yeah i invented uh, yeah so, so really okay. You guys know you guys You guys know how when something's funny you go ha ha ha. Yeah, I made that up. I was on the team, the design team of that. The team that came up with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it it's just it then this morning I had just had the same feeling of it when I was giving this advice to this person that graduated two years ago where I was like, should I pretend that the fact that I am 25 and you are 23 means that like you should listen to me or like anything that I know is of any value or should I just be like here's the deal uh I'm not even really out here seriously like trying to do anything like I don't even know yeah I I remember being in in school and people would come back you know from the world and like report on things they had done and they were sort of billed as like oh I'm an expert or like an insider in this trader field and I remember being suspicious of the people who seemed like they loved taking on the mantle of expertise like too much. I was like, this person doesn't know anything. But then I was also frustrated by people who were like too self-effacing. Yes. And like didn't didn't think their word had any value whatsoever. So like why are we even listening to you? It's a hard balance to strike. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. It just made me feel insane. And also because I just like don't really believe in advice. I'm just like I don't know what life is like from literally anybody else's perspective. I have no idea what you should do. I don't even know. Are your parents well? Or do you need money to pay for them to get a surgery or something? In which case. That's the way in which advice is so stupid. And I think growing up, I would read advice that would actually make me anxious more than it would help me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's true. It's like it's back to sort of Felipe's sort of his his sociological point he was making earlier. It's like, you know, like if you're going to be a famous director, like all the things already have already set up in your life, probably where you're going to be a famous director anyway. And there's nothing you can do now that's going to change that. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) If anything, I'm just giving you a line that you can use later on in an interview where you're like having to give advice and you can say that someone once told you something. I mean, yeah. And then again, it's not to say that I haven't, I've gotten bits of advice that like sort of stick in my head or that I think about, but but you kind of like, I think sometimes you also know right away if you want to get a piece of advice. Like I got a piece of advice, like when I was in college, I was doing like, I had a period where I was doing like this experimental animation stuff. And I hit up these people who were like TV writers through someone I knew. And one guy was like, all right, here's what you got to do. You got to focus on the writing or on the animation. And you got to know that you want to do it like with a red hot passion. And that's the one thing you got to want to do. Um, and he, and he was like, and the stuff he's like, the stuff you're making is cool. But like, he said to me, he was like, don't be like Miles Davis. Don't play with your back to the audience. Um, and I knew right away, I was like, oh, this advice is like, I understand what he means, but I don't want this advice. Like I can, right. I'm just going to keep making my work. Like I'm not going to stop animating or really, you know, it, it just felt stupid. And and in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, he was wrong. Like I kept, I'm just still doing the thing I'm doing. Or maybe the thing he said applied to me into, you know, in five years or something. But like, I don't know. It was frustrating to get the advice. Yeah. Yeah. I and remember. It was both right and wrong. That's, I guess, what I mean. Yeah, it's very true. I guess when you find someone who's like, is your mentor or some person you know you respect, then things they say, you're like, I guess I can put some kind of stock into this. But short of that, it's like meaningless. I even remember being in middle school and we had to write plays about a historical event. And I wanted to write my play about something about Walt Disney 
and like him making the first Mickey Mouse cartoon, something fucking dumb that now is like, you should, someone should have told you you shouldn't even be talking about Walt Disney. Like, get his name out of your mouth. Like, he's a bad man. Uh, but I didn't know that. And I wanted to do this play. And the teacher was just told me she thought it was a bad idea. And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm 13 and I think it's a good idea. What, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> have you ever tried to do this play that I'm going to try to do? Like, it just Wait, doesn't make sense what to me. Was why. your play about Disney going to be that he, like, is how he comes up with Mickey? Yes, <laughs> that's what I wanted to do a play about. That's awesome. Um, and and then I did do that play, and it was fine. So I just and then I always thought like eh, they don't adults people don't know anything. Was just there a you. scene? Was there a scene where um, Mickey comes to life and they talk to each other? <laughs> no, that's a great idea. <laughs> you that laugh, would be good but I'm like, that's like the obligatory scene, right? <laughs> yeah, where they, they make forge me a less bond. racist. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Uh-huh. Well, Sam, from where? Also, oh, sorry, go. Well, uh, or I'll, okay, I'll go quickly. Um, I guess uh, another like thought about advice giving is also people can't ne- can never like they when they give you advice, they're it's all always advice that they want. They are thinking about themselves about the advice they want right now with something they're dealing with, and that's always what like advice giving is about. And so it's funny when you're like talking when someone's like talking to eight year olds about following their dreams and the person's like, yeah, uh, make sure you marry somebody you love because uh, <laughs> my <laughs> wife is a bitch and I'm divorcing her at the moment. It's like, oh, right. Like no one has the ability to step outside of their shoes and really know what other people are going through. So you can't give advice to them. No, exactly. Um, I was just going to say relatedly that. Sam, from working at like, you know, working together on Simple Town, I feel like so many times I've thought that I was so right about making a call and I ended up being so wrong that I think sort of where I'm at now, it's like, oh, like almost any decision doesn't matter. Mm. It's like it's like it's more your feelings about the decision. But I guess it's not the Mm. same as advice, but it's like so many times I've been like the right call is to do this. And then it didn't. There's never a moment where I'm like, oh, I was vindicated, except maybe once. I do think that (laughs) during that one play, you shouldn't have saying. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) is that something real? (laughs) Yeah, that's a play we did. And I that is real. And Felipe Felipe was an absolute wretch about it. A rot. Rotten friend. Yeah. You, you sang a, a song. Friend. You suggested you that yeah. you should sing a song, Sam, and then you sang one. <laughs> and it's funny that he feels vindicated because he doesn't know the internal price he paid in with with, with my own standing of Felipe in my oh, head. No. Like yeah. how large it, it dropped. It made yeah. me drop yeah. because I was so anti. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Like as a Absolutely. friend, or in terms of my of like my. My adv- my you're, point you're, of view. I think you're you're my you're as a friend. My <laughs> wow. ability to trust Damn. you. Uh, wow. My sense of your own artistic, um, uh, like sort of ambitions and 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 reasons for why you make art. I felt incredibly alienated by you. Aww. Damn. Do you Damn. still feel that way? Um. I I've. I'd say my my feelings about that have only been sort of tempered more data has been added so Damn. it's it's yeah. just complex and different now it's not it's not like uh i still feel exactly that way yeah but you know i mean one day the decision to to dissolve simple town it won't be made suddenly it'll be based on a lot of circumstances <laughs> exactly. things that happened over exactly. a long time exactly. yeah so i i i will say this though that i learned myself that it is very it's hard for me to sing i'm a bad singer <laughs> wow and that you know it's it's not as you can it's not as simple as just kind of you can learn one song hmm. it's not like guitar or something where it's like if you don't know how to play guitar you can at least learn one song you know without knowing anything about guitar playing sure Singing is a lot different, I think. So you didn't know you were bad at singing and you insisted that you solo in a play? <laughs> singing a song? No, I, it's worse. I knew that I was bad at singing. Mm. <laughs> but I thought, oh, I could, I could hit this. I can master one song. I could song. do this well. Yeah. yeah. I could do this well. And I want to do it. I want the challenge. Mm. That's very and funny. I, I, I agree with Felipe in the sense that it didn't 
turn out good. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like a, I, I didn't achieve the effect I wanted, certainly. Hmm. So maybe in that sense, Felipe, you're, you're right to feel vindicated, but I think in the long run, you know, well, you yeah, a heavy price. <laughs> I guess, I guess maybe what I'm, what I was getting at was that, um, I've found that in similar moments where I've thought, oh, this isn't the call, where I've thought I felt really sure about a call about a certain thing, I often ended up being wrong. And I mean, I think I think I take your point to the to the extent that like I was wrong there, not because the singing would have been good or whatever, but because of the way I went about it or because like the point was just because you wanted to try it and that would have been enough of a reason to do it. So in that sense. I, I was wrong. And then the, you know, whether or not we think it was a good artistic call or not is like besides the point, maybe not, maybe that's not what you're saying, but maybe that's sort of what I take away from it. But that's, but in other cases I've been wrong in a way where I'm like, Oh, that was the right artistic call or, or it didn't make a difference. Like it wouldn't, there's no way to like make a, an artistic call halfway through the process, you know, where you're like, I think this should be blue. And then someone's like, I think it should be red. And then you finish it and you're like, I knew it should have been red. Like there's never that moment. You're always like, oh, it's red. And the piece is, you know, the piece. There's not, you can't like excise or like surgically mm. remove one of the choices out. So in many cases I've been wrong. And so uh, that's just to say that as with advice, it's like, oh, it almost doesn't matter. You just sort of like make a call and then you just have made it and that's it. Hmm. <clears throat> I. Unless Sam, you have something to say about that. I have something else to say. Um, I'm not sure how what I want to say yet, though. I was gonna say if you have it, I, if you have it teed up, shoot it. Cool. <laughs> I read. Um, Felipe wrote a writing sample of a screen. Uh, what do you call it? A, a sitcom pilot. Uh, and I read it yesterday, and I thought it was funny. Um, it was. It's funny that you wrote. It's another thing about little girls. I think you should stay in your lane and stop trying to tell little girls stories. <laughs> you don't know what it's like to be a little girl. You don't know what they think about. But yeah, uh, yeah I thought it was very sweet. Um, it's funny also to me, since basically everything I ever write or do is just like a reflection of my own life that's like maybe slightly enhanced or like small details are changed or something. The fact that so many of my friends make stuff that has like literally nothing to do with their life experience. I'm just like, where is this coming from? Two pe- two little girls on a road trip? What was that t- Was that your takeaway that it felt like too removed from my, from my experience? It just was funny for me to imagine you imagining that stuff. I was like, huh. So what did, when did, why did you even think of that? <laughs> Two little Chinese girls during the Cultural Revolution. <laughs> you have no business thinking about that. Yeah. yeah it makes me laugh. I think it's funny because also in every interview, any creative person ever does, they get asked at some point, you know, like where they think of their ideas. And it's like a stupid ass question you're not supposed to ask. But I always think it. I'm like, where did you think of this idea? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I think I think to be honest, when I was making that, I was thinking when I made it because it was my thesis and I was thinking of Ghost World, um, mm. Dan Claus Ghost World. And then somehow the characters went from being like teenage girls to being like little girls. I liked that they were nine. Yeah. And how they were talking in a way that didn't really make sense for how old they were. Like, yeah, I know it's totally funny. like it's to- like it's not really about kids or it's like it's like a totally like not not an accurate or insightful perspective on kids i don't think yeah but that's a fun thing ghost world or your your thesis i mean your uh my thesis slash script yeah Uh, okay yeah what what what's uh how is it not like girls actual insightful about girls sarah can you as the girl expert can you weigh in on this (laughs) yeah he wrote them too brave um, the girl, <laughs> girls are, are not as brave as what he wrote. Right. Yeah. Girls are not as brave as boys. That's funny. No. So you can tell they're actually little boys and he just gave them girls names. That's really funny. At the final moment, he control F and made them girls. Yeah. That's a funny piece um, of feedback. Yeah. No, I think it is funny. It, it actually made me mad. I got into a big fight when um, Bo Burnham's eighth grade came out. Um, because people were talking about how they were like, wow, what an incredible portrayal of like the eighth grade girl experience. And I think I hadn't seen it when I got in this fight. I was hanging out with my Philly comedy friends and I just felt really upset that I was like, oh, this is like an important story to tell of like sort of a 
weird, awkward eighth grade girl who's like kind of pre-sexual or something. I have seen it now, but I can't even really remember what it's about. Um, and to think that like Bo Burnham is going to like slide in where that like story is kind of untold and like scoop that opportunity up and then get all that credit for like telling this story made me mad. I was like, wow, that just sucks because like, I don't know, the the comedy industry is like not as misogynistic as it would have been, you know, like 20 years ago, or maybe this would be more relevant. But it just struck me as like, oh, why wasn't there a woman like in Bo Burnham's position who could have made this movie? And it would probably be more accurate. But and then a bunch of male comedians I was talking to were just like, that's fucked up. People can write whatever they want. If the movie is good and it's accurate, then it is. So like, why are you saying this? Uh, and also mad at me because I hadn't seen it. And I was like, you don't have to see shit to say talk bad about it. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I think about that. I guess I guess I get I understand what the stakes are in like uh, in a sort of um, like political way of like, could someone else have gotten that? But I wonder if that didn't exist, if that pressure didn't exist, if the question of whether someone can write a story about someone that doesn't look like them would would be easier to answer. Does that make sense? Right. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think. um Obviously, in, in a world of more perfect conditions, people should just be writing whatever they think of that they feel like is interesting. Um, and it's only because of like the political and kind of economic circumstances that we're in that make it problematic to me. Yeah, I, I think if you can make something that will be commercially successful, it doesn't matter. Money talks or what it's yeah, about. At the end yeah. of the day, money yeah. talks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think about that movie and whether I thought it was like particularly insightful. I don't remember thinking it was that insightful to my experience, but I was like, maybe I'm just being like a bitch about this. Well, at the very <laughs> least, well, I thought the girl's performance captured, you know, I felt like I was looking at a real little girl. So to the extent that she was performing her own experience of being 13, that was really effective. It's true. Mm. It's true. What were you mm. going to say, Sam? Um, I, I guess I was going to say people, people, you can kind of, I think you can kind of make a piece of art like, like eighth grade and have some good, like formal artistic choices, like things with the music and thing and, uh, you know, things with the camera and the editing choices and people can look at it and be like, oh, this is what being an eighth grader is like when it's like, oh no, the, the insight you people bring to eighth grade is actually their own insights about being an eighth grader and sort of the movie the movie like kind of is just a medium for them to arrive at their all already at their own conclusions it's just about an what invitation. it's like to be an eighth grade girl yeah exactly yeah exactly it's like let's just think about this all together <laughs> well exactly yeah. i think i think there's like a one ex, um, extreme or sort of one end of the spectrum way of thinking about it that I sort of tend more towards, which is like, oh, art, like, you know, art is just about the the tropes and the devices that you use for in, like and, and an example of what I mean is like a person might make a movie about their own identity and it might be very cliche. And the problem is not that they're not tapped into their own identity. It's that they're not like skilled enough writers or artists um, to make it feel. Yeah. Make it feel real. And even it might be exactly real to what they experience, but the feeling of it being real is right. not it's the same like, thing. It's as... like creating the mm -hmm. illusion of a painting and like, you have to have the skills to create that illusion. And so it's like, Oh, simply knowing an experience doesn't make, doesn't make you the best storyteller for that. It doesn't make you a, a good storyteller period. You know, it's like, you might have a really good experience, but but a storyteller knows how to like make it not cliche or resonant or whatever doesn't i'm not saying that bo burnham would have been a better storyteller than some equivalent female uh, uh filmmaker but but just that like um i don't know people receive cliches from culture and if they're not good enough artists they just like reproduce the cliches no matter what their relationship mm. to an experience is Not me, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> or like, okay, I'll give, I'll give, a, I'll give an example. Maybe it's like a bad one, you know. But it's like there's a lot of, you know, now there's like a lot of media about, for instance, like, you know, people of color or women that's like made by people who have those identities, and 
sometimes it misses the mark, right? Like it, it'll be like too pandery or too sort of cliche or sort of say all the right stuff. Um, and sometimes maybe it'll be celebrated, but maybe you feel like, oh, this this feels like I, I know what the point it was going to make is because I'm, you know, on Twitter and I like know sort of what the what the ideology is. And maybe if a white guy had made that, it would be also bad. It would also be cliched, but it would be like bad cliches. <laughs> sure. It would be like whatever, you know, women are hysterical or like, you know, all the stupid <laughs> like the stupid sort of white conservative cliches or clueless like, you know, oh, there's no race. There's no white or black. It, it's all the same. So it's like, yeah. oh, you're just in that case, you could imagine you could just be like, well, you know, you're treating one cliche for another. They're just a different sets of cliches and and neither like really gets at something that's interesting because it's like more than true, whether it's like something can be true, but it can just be bad still um, and, and not and uninteresting. I don't know what I'm getting at. I think that's I, I wish that's we right. had streamed this. So you could be sweating through that idea. <laughs> <laughs> worried whether you're going to fall off the tightrope that you had set yourself I'm on. I'm going to grab the scissors and cut this whole thing up. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. That makes you think of when I got into the fight about eighth grade with these guys. Um, they really like got on my ass and were like, you're wrong. You're wrong. You shouldn't be saying this. You shouldn't be talking about this. You didn't see the movie. And then I really flipped it on them and was like, wow, I can't believe you're like three men. Like I'm earnestly just expressing to you how I feel as a woman. And like you're saying this shit to me, like making me feel like shit. Like I can't believe you're doing this. Um, and then they were so apologetic. And I just love the feeling of like, when somebody wrongs you and you're like in an argument with them and you don't have to make any concessions or admit any wrongdoing, it's just like, no, it was just you. You did this <laughs> and you need to say you're sorry. And I'm not apologizing for anything. <laughs> but it's such a good That's feeling. Yeah. Hitting game breaker mode in the <laughs> yeah. video game. You just dunk after dunk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it back. Take everything back. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. You're invincible for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been having a lot of that like fake arguments in my head where I'm like winning and then I have to be like stop this is not this is only sapping your energy wow like about what i don't know i guess you know i couldn't i couldn't say anything without it being too revealing but sure you know things from like oh i could read like what if i finally told this person what i think <laughs> and do it man on air, yeah. say it on air. I, just, I just find myself just grinding my teeth and i'm like why am i do i'm only hurting myself <laughs> Yeah, it's funny though. I like doing that. Um, have you guys heard of maladaptive daydreaming disorder? No, no what, is, what that? is that? It's like people who are so into their daydreams that it gets in the way of them like living their real life. They're just like so far afield, like imagining things that'll never happen. And uh, I think most of the time it's described as like they're not imagining scenarios in their own real life. They are like living with a cast of like completely fabricated characters wow. on another planet, like doing missions and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And if you do, if you daydream for four, more than four hours a day, you're considered to be maladaptive daydreamer yeah <laughs> i don't know what, if i've ever like it, met someone like that or if i've ever even read fiction about someone like that it, yeah it's funny also because it's like that seems like a kind of a i guess like all like syndromes it's like it, it's a capitalist one right because like simply what it does is it stops people from like working like that's yes. the problem <laughs> people have with it you know yeah because like, as a child i would spend like all day doing missions <laughs> <laughs> every day i was doing missions in my head and like refining an imaginative like a imagine a story that i had imagined and like playing the same scenes over and over again and doing them differently and stuff and i was like i just could do that because i like didn't have any responsibilities totally totally i used to do that when i was a teenager i would do it even and i would pretend i was tanning because i just needed to be able to like lay still and just think for long periods of time and i wouldn't tell my parents i was doing something sort of normal for like what a teenage girl should do um so i would just put a bathing suit on and lay in my backyard and just be like i'm on a mission though and you have no idea yeah <laughs> i was way too old also to be happy I would, that way. I would do the same thing and i still kind of do it when it's like the sun is high and i'll just go out walking and i'll just pace for a long time and I'm just kind of like talking to myself and go going on missions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny when you have some shit that you're like always replaying. You're like, this is one I, I like to do this. Yeah. Well, sometimes I, I'm never going on the mission. I'm just in the bay, like equipping myself. The, the, the like equipment yeah, bay. Yeah, looking you know, at just all like the guns. Checking out the different Ch Changing stuff. your loadout. You say I'm changing your loadout. Imagining what missions I would go on. I'm a character who's imagining what missions what? they could go on. I, what I have sometimes is like, 
I remember once I was in France, this is, this is going to sound really insufferable, but even in the moment <laughs> I was like, why am I doing this? I was in France and, and I, when I was studying abroad and I had all this like free time at one point. And so I like went on the, um, like on the boardwalk, there was like this river, uh, in the city where I was and it was just boardwalk. And I walked up and down it for maybe hour and a half. And I was like, basically like crafting arguments against transphobia. Like I was having like a discourse with myself about transgender and like thinking about it for a really long time. And, mm. and like what, I don't know, just having this like, di like discourse with like a fa fantasy person. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. Like it, I don't, I don't remember it even being like sparked by anything in particular but i think i'll have that like i'll have arguments or sort of like conversations in my head like when i'm biking often i often this is stupid but i have like arguments with like ben shapiro in my head when i'm biking and wow, it'll make cool. me really mad and then i'll be like stop doing this like why this is stupid this is like the dumbest thing you could be doing right now and it's making you feel bad but that's very funny. Yeah. yeah. You're like in the cl in the French classroom and you're like, how do you say um there's no such thing as male genitalia? It's just penis owners. <laughs> that's interesting. How old were you when you were doing the arguments against transphobia? I don't know, 23, 24. 23. Yeah, recently, sort of. It was it was up with yeah. your college. <laughs> I was seven years old. <laughs> That's funny. But I think I did A similar things genius. when I was like 13. I was really into like atheist, like debates over atheism and stuff. And I think I would just sort of like run over the arguments in my head. And there's something pleasurable about it. Mm. Yeah. And I think that that stuff's useful. It's like rehearsal, you know, like you rehearse the conversations you want to have. Yeah. In real life, I think that's you know? true. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. Or I think it's interesting uh, when you there, I feel like there's kinds of people who like form an opinion about something and then they want to think through all of the implications of what believing that thing means and like follow all those contingencies and really like nail it out. And other people who are kind of more willing to just like grasp onto different things and be like, this is what I'm thinking this month. And I feel this way. Totally. Uh, yeah. And I think that your method is probably why like listeners, if you ever talk to Felipe about anything like, and he doesn't disagree, he doesn't agree with even just like a tiny little thing that you said, he'll never just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. He'll be like, wait, but I think, uh, and like really, like drill you on stuff but so. i think that you're more you're like me you're not the you're not the pick a bunch of stuff and just a thinker no exactly yeah so sometimes i i get mad at felipe because he won't accept just like <laughs> me wanting to say some random shit about celebrities shouldn't have political opinions or <laughs> like whatever yeah we get in a fight about it um the thing that's funny about the daydreaming disorder is that it's not like in the DSM. It's something that's like forming online right now of like a bunch of people who are just like coming out like on Reddit and places and being like, does anybody else like live so far deep in their own mind that they like don't have any friends? <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Is it overlapped um, with like autism or anything like that? Not that I've really seen. I, maybe it does, I but... I like that kind of like the people's diagnosis, you know what I mean? Where, yeah. where you kind of, a, you, you get collectively get to invent, you know, pathologies and sicknesses. Yes. Did you ever like hear about Mergellans? This is kind of an old, old, old discourse. Mergellans. <laughs> it was like, it was like the first instance of what was called sort of like an internet disease, which was all these people in these message boards were, had developed this diagnosis for themselves that they had a thing called Mergellans where, uh, like hairs were growing out of your skin that, and that people would have these like clear hairs that they would like pull out of their skin. I can't remember if there were any other symptoms, but basically like people would go to the doctor and this is what I thought was so interesting. The doctors would be like, yes, you do have a disorder, but what it is, it's, it's called like psychosomatic, like psychic disorder. Like there's no such thing as Magellan's. In fact, when people would send in these hairs to labs, when people would send in the hairs to labs, labs would be like, yeah, it's a mix of like nylon thread that you would find on shirts um cotton thread like different kinds of threads that you would find on shirts like it was totally bunk but it was just interesting because people because people the sort of subsequent stage of this was that people felt like they were being ignored by the scientific community like they had this thing and mm. and it was funny because like 
they weren't being ignored. Like there was a diagnosis for what they had. It just wasn't the thing that they this thought they had. They had a different name. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we really want to call it Mergellans. <laughs> yeah. And it's about hair. It's about hair. Well, I think, please call it Mergellans. I think that's yeah, the interesting. I think that's the interesting problem about like hypochondria, which is that like you can either be like I have brain cancer, or you can be like I have hypochondria, and and it's manifesting as that I fear I have brain cancer. I probably don't, but the the fear is hurting me and I want to get rid of the fear, you know? And it's like, how do you, what's that jump? <clears throat> yes. Yes. It kind of, you're undercut by a more meta analysis, right? Right. But it doesn't free <clears throat> you. you. Know, it doesn't like... necessarily free you from the thing. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Uh, you said damn just different people talking arguing over what's real <laughs> like in the doctor's office that's so funny yeah that yeah um, yeah it's what, yeah. it's kind of hard for me to go to the doctor sometimes because i have so much anxiety about the idea of becoming really sick or something being wrong that i will have such a long list of symptoms that i qualify all of them being like i'm not sure if this is really a symptom or it's just like yeah, something yeah, i me imagined too. was happening <laughs> So I can only imagine if you're my doctor, it's like impossible to sort through what even I really felt and what I thought I was worried that I felt and like to put anything together. So I think doctors can yeah. more or less tell. I think they're I like, so. they can tell more. <laughs> they can tell when, when someone is being a hypochondriac. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. We've gotten, this is, this has been a lot more like serious than when we have an audience and we were discussing over whether or not we should do it with the live audience. Yeah, we would if we if we had a live audience, we'd ask them to weigh in right now. But we can't, you know. We can only diagnose ourselves. Mm. I th I'm having fun, and I think it's going. Yeah, well. me too. Yeah, I'm having fun. I'm excited to have guests. We're gonna have guests soon. If you're listening, get get psyched. Ooh. Sam, you said you saw live guests and a live audience. <laughs> 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 in our apartment nice <laughs> i have a new topic but it sounded like felipe had a new topic too so you well you sam can do you yours. were just saying that uh you had seen the hillbilly elegy what did you what thoughts did you have about the hillbilly elegy oh i well i haven't seen it i've seen only trailers of it and everyone on at least my twitter timeline is really trashing it and it made me it reinterested both in that book and also what what it is people hate about this thing again because i'd kind of forgotten because it was like went viral in 2016 and now it's like back again and it's i guess the the sort of two my my quick takeaways are yes hillbilly elegy like the story is stupid and the author is bad and what it promotes <laughs> is bad generally i think okay um nice but also the there's another element now which is the film and the filmmaking and it's funny because the trailer is this really um like 1990s oscar bait style trailer where it's like like soaring um classical music slow title cards that like fade in and out um like slow motion scenes just like people like dropping like truth bombs on each other yeah. like again and again you and need again. to take like, responsibility i do take responsibility yeah, exactly. every day of my exactly. life I take yeah yeah do you want to yeah, be somebody yeah. because you decide if you want to be yeah, somebody totally yeah. totally if you don't take care um, of those kids, someone's got to step in. Who? Who's going to step in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. And it, it, it was just like fascinating to see it. And I was like, wow, this is out of a different era. Well, this, 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 uh, the trailer in the, in the filmmaking. It did make me think about how, like, I guess the, the, the critique of Hillbilly Elegy is that it, it was sort of like, uh, like, it it cashed in on the interest of like the Trump voter, right? It was like suddenly all of America is curious about like who voted for Trump, this like this sort of elusive poor white person. And so that book yeah. came out and it was like, these are our travails. Like this is what the hillbilly like experiences. And it, it, it offered a um, 
a cultural rather than material uh suggestion it's like it 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 reproduced all of the conservative arguments more or less right that right. like that people in sort of flyover america have like resentments about a culture that they've been left out of rather that they've been like you know immiserated by capitalism or whatever and then i was watching the trailer of the movie you know but but it also like repackaged like welfare queen language for like uh a white uh like underclass Wait, really does it contain people who are on welfare but who live it up it, he's like the problem with like rural poverty is that these people like don't like basically don't lift themselves up by their bootstraps sure. and that that like po that that poverty is a kind of like um sort of social and cultural problem that lives within like the individuals who are poor sure that's one of the theses of the books of the book yeah. Have you read it? Pretty much. Because I haven't read it and I don't really... No. <laughs> <laughs> ah, beautiful. Interesting. Well, I guess maybe where I was getting... But I've read compelling evidence oh, I believe... <laughs> to suggest that the book does say I that. I believe that's what it's about. I guess maybe what I was thinking about was like, oh, it, it's a bummer that we don't have the like infrastructure that made European art films like thrive and exist because like... The American, the sort of American Hollywood style of storytelling can only lead to certain kinds of ideology. Like you couldn't, mm. like you can only have a story about uplift and like, and taking responsibility when you are working in that storytelling mode, right? More or less, I, th I think that's been true. Yeah. What, yeah. Can we, can we think of uh, an attempt at making a story outside of that mode? that failed or are there no good avatar um, movie <laughs> <laughs> you're right because you're not wrong in that the military man gets to become one of the indigenous mm. environmentalist aliens and gets to leave earth behind yes and that doesn't happen and he has and, to have sex yeah. yeah and he abandons the military it's like anti he's like not an, a patriot so i eat my words <laughs> Yeah. I, eat my, I eat my words, Sarah. Yeah. Um, I think it, I, I read a long article about Dolly Parton. I feel like there's so much Dolly Parton media. It's like kind of driving me insane. But I, I read a long article about her that was in The New Yorker. Um, and all of the media about her is called Dolly Parton's America. Uh, and including this article. And it was about how she is this like one unifying figure in American popular culture. And it was like her whole back history and everything. And there was the two interesting things about it. One is that like she was actually an extremely, extremely impoverished person, like growing up in Tennessee. And so I find it interesting when you hear about someone who's like really lived a difficult young life. And now they're one of the most universal figures in the like, United States. You're like, damn, that's actually kind of crazy because like most people listening to your music have like no idea what you're actually talking about and don't relate in any specific way, um, only in the most general sense. But then the other thing is like, uh, People have become obsessed with Dolly Parton as like a feminist icon, but who won't call herself a feminist. And that like really bothers uh, liberal feminists that she won't identify. And I just hear that. And I just like, why? Why? Just leave her alone. She's out here doing the real thing, like singing her songs. She doesn't have to say she's a feminist if she doesn't want to. She's just trying to be cool. Who cares? Is she really a feminist icon? Just because she's rich she's and a woman? Because her songs are about like leaving your bad husband and like grinding and figuring your own shit out mm. like that kind of stuff like deciding yeah. one day to be the best basketball player in the world and then, <laughs> and then doing, doing it that. yeah <laughs> deciding yeah. to have huge blonde hair <laughs> yeah and really big boobs i saw i saw the ken burns documentary about country music and they interview her and she said she said when i was deciding on my look i decided that i wanted to look that I wanted my look to be like the town trollop. That's those are the things she said. She said wow. because when I was growing up, she was the most beautiful. Wow, wow. Oh, that is what a little girl would think. Yeah, the town trollop. Now, Felipe, did did Dolly Parton decide one day to do that, or did she sort of through a series of of uh, social, environmental, and cultural factors like it navigated to her? that she navigated to that decision well, um, <laughs> absence of any free it all, will yeah. it all begins with a little thing called the new deal sam 
<laughs> it all starts with something called the Mississippi Valley Authority, <laughs> which has roots in the you know the ninety nine uh, the ninety nine complaints that uh, Martin Luther. Oh, I thought you were going to say the ninety nine. Uh, I thought you were going to say the ninety nine uh, Chicago Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be cool. I would read that essay. <laughs> beautiful hillbilly elegy i i i think um i developed a little joke over the weekend that i i did to well and then i did it to felipe afterwards um and it's when you're watching a movie that was like made before uh it, it works with any movie made before 2016 but you're as you're watching the movie you just go and you turn to your partner and you just say now, mind you, this was made before Trump and all that. <laughs> I think that's funny. That's pretty good. Yeah. Keep that um, in mind. I thought of you something. What's up? What's up, yeah. Sarah? Go, go ahead. I, this isn't a joke. It's the opposite of a joke. It's a, like a scary thing to do to get people scared. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about this this morning. One of the scariest things you can do is sort of be with someone in the dark somewhere you're already feeling a little like maybe you're camping or you're like in a building you're not supposed to be in or something and you're looking in two different directions and you're like staring off in your direction and you just say wait who's that i think that's like one of the scarier things that you can yeah. do um who, wait who is that yeah this is freaky what if you and, uh, what if you made it even scarier by saying something like who is that six foot tall He's got the fingers that are super long and big teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and you said all that stuff. Oh no, that's too scary. Yes. That's too scary. Des yeah. Describe them as you often do who is when that, you see a new person. Who's that man yeah. who has a bat's head? <laughs> uh. Yeah. Well, I hate to leave on that note, but Sam's recorder stopped. Uh, so we don't have the rest. There were 30 more minutes of the episode. And we talked about a whole mess of stuff. Um, we talked about... Um, anyways, it doesn't matter. But this is, I'm recording this so that it's not an abrupt ending. I'm telling you now, this is where the episode ends. Even though we don't say goodbye. So I'm going to say it now. Goodbye. Raisin Man Arena.